Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is the hugely inspiring Rachel Cargill. I recorded this episode when I was in New York a few months back and I emailed Rachel just randomly to see if she fancied meeting up in New York and we met at The Wing, which is a place I've wanted to go to for ages. It's a co-working space for women and we went to the Brooklyn one and it was just really fun to have a little look round with Rachel. I first came across Rachel's work on Instagram, actually. A lot of people follow her on there and a lot of people I follow repost her work She was also recently on Red Table Talk, which is a US roundtable show streamed on Facebook and it's hosted by Jada Pinkett-Smith and Willow Smith. And Rachel's clip on white privilege went viral on Instagram and I saw it and I really wanted to spread her message on this podcast. So Rachel is an activist, a writer and a lecturer and her activism and academic work is rooted in providing intellectual discourse, tools, resources, conversations all about the intersection of race and womanhood. Her social media platforms now have a community of over 200,000 people which has grown very quickly in just under a year. So we talk a bit about that, how she uses social media to kind of guide these conversations and critical thinking and also what it's like to be an activist and an entrepreneur. She has lots of other things uh, that she does as well. So I'm really thrilled to have had the chance to talk to her because she's in demand right now. So here it is. And please don't be afraid to leave me a rating or a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear what you think. Thanks very much for listening. I'm in New York for a week. I managed to pin you down. I feel really proud of myself for like getting your time because you are you, you are a very busy, very busy person. This is the busiest time of my life, I think. Well, I, I don't think. I know for sure. Well, I feel so incredibly lucky to be in your presence. Thank you. And so I wanted to start from the beginning because you are, I mean, I feel like the whole world knows who you are because you have oh like a quarter of a million <laughs> followers on Instagram. But for anyone listening who might not have heard of you, who needs to immediately, (laughs) it's been under a year that that you've kind of gathered a real online platform, Mm -hmm. even though you've been doing incredible work for years. How did it all begin? And what were you doing before what you're doing now? Yeah, well, a lot of my social media work in particular began... um, after the Women's March that took place in Washington, D.C., after the inauguration of Donald Trump, there was a photo that was taken that went viral, and that started me kind of having more of a social media voice um, around what this intersection is of race and womanhood. And it was that photo and the responses that I got from it that really projected me into doing my own research and my own study into what exactly um, the foundations of racism the foundations of feminism were and the racist underlyings of that. And so that kind of pushed me into lecturing and reading more and occupying this particular space. But people always say, you know, how did you get into kind of being in conversation about being a black woman or race and womanhood? And I always say, when I came out of the womb as a black female, (laughs) there's always going to be conversation because um, this is a very particular space of living politically, um, living, you know, 
socioeconomically and just being in a country that's built on racism and its foundation is anti-black and it has these patriarchal foundations that this is always going to be a conversation and a lens from which I view life. So um, I've always kind of been very outspoken. I've always been very interested in um, other black women. I remember when I was in college, my wall in my dorm was covered with photos of like Maya Angelou, Michelle Obama, um, Nikki Giovanni. And I just always was incredibly enamored by the experience of black women. And so I'm, I feel this very interesting circle, like circling effect of me having this deep interest, just being in awe of them. And then now my work revolves around them as I'm becoming one, mm-hmm. <laughs> as I'm, you know, continuing to grow into who I am as a black woman. And so it's kind of always been a part of me. But um, career wise, I was a nanny before I started speaking and lecturing full time. So I was here in New York City nannying for families. Amazing. Yeah. Do you kind of miss that a bit or you, you no. have not to? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but it's, it's such an important conversation because I know that I had to really look at, you know, the London Women's March. It was a lot of white women wearing beanies and taking pictures and taking selfies. And I felt like, is this an Instagram opportunity? Oh. And where is like the actual work? Like, and, and I'm a part of that. I was there taking pictures and holding up signs, but I was just like, this isn't enough. I call the Women's March, and I haven't attended one since that initial, um, I call the Women's March a parade at this point. It seems like there's a lot of craft nights, getting your signs ready, um, a lot of, like you said, photo opportunities while you're actually out there marching, but I can only speak from... um, you know, the case of America, which is what I where I live and what I'm familiar with. But nothing changed. Nothing changed after the march. The midterm elections showed up um, with with white women making the same decisions that they were making um, politically that got Trump into office in the first place. I mean, 53 percent of white women who walked into the voting booths voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. More than half of the white women who voted said we want him to be our president. And so there's. Um, what I call a lot of whiteness over womanhood that happens in American politics. And if after the Women's March, I would have seen a difference in the way that white women were voting, because we have the statistics. So if I would have seen, you know, the receipts of a different way that white women were voting, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, maybe marches are really pushing people to change their minds and make different decisions. But it wasn't. And so um, that's what pushes me into the space of, okay, where are we really, quote unquote, all in this together when it comes to when it comes to feminism and um, who's showing up, who's not? And how is the performance of the march um, showing up on the other end of things? And it hasn't like you said, it's been grim. (laughs) Yeah, because you can see that across kind of all politics we think that things look really positive online mm-hmm. because everyone's hashtagging things and taking pictures and and then the actual results don't match yes, up. Yes. That was the entire Trump election where we're in this especially in New York we're in this bubble of people, you know, rallying around and not happening and really being aware and speaking on the facts of what would happen if he did get elected and then when he did everyone's like what? just happened. Um, but it just showed like I can't ex- I think you know what? I was on a cruise during election um, like the announcements and it was so odd because I was we were on the cruise and like it was the cruise started before and then there were more days after <laughs> so like we were all anxiously laying in the sun <laughs> waiting to see what would happen 
And I, I, I kid you not, the next day after he won, the next day, there were so many people on the cruise who wore their MAGA hats the next day. Like, the, we, you didn't see them before, but then he won and they got all this confidence and everyone was wearing them. It was oh, so terrifying. Like, I am on a boat with these people. That is terrifying. It was terrifying. It was terrifying. That's like I know. a horror film. It was. It was. You know what? That would be a good horror film, someone. <laughs> people on a cruise with all Trump supporters. That's hor- That's horrifying. <laughs> and that is what is truly terrifying when people who have racist behaviors mm-hmm. feel like they feel confident. Emboldened. They're like, yeah, yeah this, is, this is fine. That's, I, I know. And they're incredibly hidden. I mean... We were walking around the cruise ship, you know, like dancing in the sun with these people. And the next day we find out that they're supporting, you know, racist, xenophobic ideologies. When I was watching you on Red Table Talk, which Mm -hmm. everyone listening immediately go onto Facebook and watch the entire thing. It's so interesting what you guys were saying about this, about how it feels like there's been a complacency for so long of like things are fine and I mean it's like the whole waking up thing Mm -hmm. the privilege of being Mm -hmm. like suddenly woke yeah yeah if it took this degree of am I allowed to say cuss words yes okay if it took this degree of fuckery to get you to wake up then you have really been sitting in a place of like oh I'm okay nothing will affect me and if it affects others you know someone else will work it out Mm -hmm. so if it if it took this much to wake you up um that's a concern and that's what I talk a lot about in my lectures and in the work that I do because my audience is very white facing I have you know over 200k followers and probably 98% of them are white women Mm -hmm. and so I'm often in conversation with them about like when did you how did you get here like how did you get to this space with me to start talking about race and often it's oh after the Trump election you know I just realized there's so much I didn't know and the truth is it wasn't until the Trump election that a light a lot of white women were actually affected like there's a lot of the conversation around his misogyny around um a lot of his sexual grab yeah like sexual harassment and blah 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 and it and it took white women being personally affected to show up. And the truth is, there's a there's a photo that went viral of Angela of a woman named Angela Peoples who was holding up a sign that says, you know, uh, don't forget white women are who voted for Trump. And um, it just it, it's a really good reminder that Angela, who's a activist already she she had been to marches before black women have been watching have been marching on washington for a very long time never did millions of women show up never did millions of women white never did millions of white women show up um to join in this fight that black women were fighting but now all of a sudden that white women are personally affected they're coming in under the guise of womanhood under the guise of feminism but if it was feminism and it was womanhood they would be showing up for all of the native american marches the black women's marches the lgbtq marches but that's not what happened. And when it centered white women's experiences, centered white women's concerns, um, centered white women's leadership and ideas and interests, then millions of people showed up and called it feminism. And it's the same with like the Me Too movement. Yes, oh, like, for sure. Like, oh, oh, you know, a white Hollywood actor. I know that you're asked this a lot, and I'm really sorry um, <laughs> about it in advance, but... Um, on that roundtable panel, you guys were talking about what makes a good ally because there was a white woman around the table, wasn't there? She had some interesting insight. And the reason she was there, um, obviously I wasn't part of the production team, but the reason she was there because she wrote an article um, about Gloria Steinem and then 
Amy, she wrote it about her personal revelation of her white privilege within the feminist movement. So I thought she she had a very interesting perspective to come yeah. in with. The question of what makes a good ally, like, is is one that comes back round. And I know it's probably one where it's like I know with Rennie Edo Lodge, who came on the podcast, her least favorite question in the audience is like, what can a white person do? Well, I my like least favorite question, I hate it, is when people say, well, who is someone? Like, tell us the name of someone, like one white woman who you say we ought to follow. And it's so. Like no, I'm not. I'm not going it's a to. Weird question. Yeah, it's a, it's very odd that they just want someone to sit under. I'm like you're you're the person who you need to focus on, not someone to praise and emulate. Like you just need to work on yourself. Um, but she because she might mess up too. Right, she might mess up too. And there's there's just n- there's no reason for us to look for saviors in this space. We're not looking to celebritize anti-racism work you know like there's no reason to celebritize this space there's no like the queen of anti-racism work just like do the like protect black lives that's all you need to do like we don't need to have a celebrity in this space but um because you guys were discussing like Anne Hathaway's post you know what I'm so frustrated and I haven't said this publicly yet exclusive I am so frustrated because all of the media that has come out of that Red Table talk, every single thing has centered around Anne Hathaway. Every single media piece, every single article written has said Red Table talk praises Anne Hathaway as a good ally. That's why I don't say a name because it centers that person. We had an entire conversation on that Red Table talk and the only thing that's getting picked up by the media is that Anne Hathaway was mentioned as a good ally. Isn't that wild? That is, that proves your point like 100% again and again and again. Because I think I read it in the Harper's Bazaar with you and Willow Smith talking. Oh, okay. I think. I think. Because that is an incredible conversation you two had. Yeah, it was great. I was really happy to get the chance to do that. I loved it. It was almost like I was a fly on the wall and I just got to like listen to you guys (laughs) speak. Yeah, I'm really grateful that Harper's let me dip into doing an interview piece with Willow. I really had fun. Does that, do you feel like it does give, um, you know, a sense of positivity to see someone like Willow Smith who's, how old is she? Like, yeah, I think she's 18. But you know what? The reality is that, this is how a majority of black girls live. Like we can't not be political. People are always shocked by, I mean, especially with this piece with Willow where they're like, wow, she's only 18 and she knows so much about being black and being a woman and feminism. Like this isn't new to her. She has had experiences of showing up and people questioning her race, people questioning, you know, how she feels about the feminist movement. Like she said, her experience of being pulled over and granted she has a lot of privilege being a celebrity, but I can walk up to any 18 year old girl in Brooklyn and say how, you know, what are things looking like from this economic angle, from this political angle? And she'll have something to say because her life hangs in the balance of a lot of the economic, political, socio issues within the country. Going back to your original question, my, I have an equation for allyship and my equation is knowledge plus empathy plus action. And that's equals allyship for me because I say that you have to have a really, you have to really study and have an understanding. If you're not a part of that community, then it will take you educating yourself about that community to have a true understanding about them and not like a whitewashed version of it um, or a washed from any other perspective. Read the perspective of the people you're looking to be an ally to. Um, 
And then empathy um, is like really caring, like actually considering how there's a connection between their lives and your life and how we have to show up for each other. Um, And then obviously action. And I say that if you take out any aspect of that, then you're not being an ally. If you take out the knowledge and you're just like feeling bad about things, so you're going to kind of do something, that means you're doing it to feel better for yourself. You're not doing it because you really know about the community. You're not really coming in. And oftentimes that can be harmful to the community if you're only doing something based on how you feel. If you take out knowledge or if you take out empathy and you're only doing knowledge plus action, then you're not really considering how the people feel. You're not really considering, you know, what's the human connection and why you're doing it. And I think that leads to a lot of like, colonization and that's how that happened people thinking they know stuff and then coming in and taking action without having that human connection um and if you take out action and you just have learned something and you feel bad but you're not doing anything Mm. you're just like a bad person so (laughs) those all all three of those things need to come into play to be an ally and that's Mm. that's my personal equation that is so useful I feel like I've just had a mini a mini lecture <laughs> that is like worth a lot of money and time. But with action, if going to a women's march and doing a glittery board and sign yes. is not action, wh- what what is action now? Would you say calling out your racist uncle at the dinner table, um, voting for representatives who actually protect people, um, educating yourself calling you know if you walk into your yoga conference and it's all white women who are teaching why is you know why are we only learning why is only the minds of these white women valued Mm -hmm. Um, I'm really committed right now I'm fine I'm kind of finding the pillars of my work and I'm realizing that one of them is decolonizing intellect Um, taking us out of the idea that white people are the knowers and everything else is to be known. White people Mm -hmm. are the knowers and everyone else is to be taught, especially in the, in the Academy. And I, I attend Columbia here in New York city and there's a lot of, you know, conversation around the field of anthropology, which is what I'm studying in. And, um, you know, like no one's ever studying white people. Every, everyone else is scrutinized. There's like, Asian studies and African studies and, you know, everything else. But who's scrutinizing and picking apart and evaluating white people? They just get to be the brains and everyone else is exotic and gets to be studied and gets to be kind of evaluated. And so um, I'm just really interested in decolonizing that intellect and I think people need to consider what that looks like in their own spaces why are all the experts coming into our workplace only white men like Mm -hmm. other people are experts other people Mm -hmm. know things other people are creative other people are intelligent um so agitating the system and calling that out yes I I I think people have a responsibility to turn things down and to say I'm not going to get involved and my voice isn't needed here I've turned lots of things down and I think a lot of people need to turn a lot of things down um because honestly there has to be a consequence. People always ask me, like, how am I supposed to talk? You know, my boyfriend doesn't want to talk about race and I really want to talk to him about race and it's really hard and he's just not listening to me. And I'm like, was well, it? Is there a consequence to him not listening to you or do you just like shrug your shoulders and go on with the day? Mm-hmm. Like, if your push towards justice stops with someone else's choices to maintain the system you quote unquote want to end, then you're not really an ally. You're just pushing to your line of comfort. Mm-hmm. So there needs to be agitation and consequences. Because Jada Pinkett Smith in that roundtable, she, she says that she doesn't call herself a feminist for that reason, doesn't she? Yeah. Like that she doesn't want to call herself a feminist because being a feminist at the moment just looks like white feminism. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I and I absolutely understand that. Um, and she mentioned that she identifies as a womanist, which is totally a value to me, and I don't blame her for that. But I, I do identify as a feminist because I don't show up in the feminist movement as a white feminist or for white feminists. And so I think everyone needs to consider how they're showing up and where they're showing up and what space they have and what privilege they have within mm-hmm. any movement they decide to come into. Yeah. With your social media account now, because you hit 200,000 today? Yes. 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 So you must get a lot of people wanting to be educated, wanting to hear from you. How do you deal with that amount of kind of um, accessibility now? Or it looks like you're accessible. I don't think I've dealt with it yet. I still, I think I still show up online like I have like 4,000 followers. <laughs> I think I think that's how I still exist. I'm still kind of adjusting to having this much visibility um, and having this big of a community. And so I, I mean, I, I'm working on creating more content because I want to be, I love to teach. It's what, what I do and how I show up. I love to write. So I'm just hoping that my, I'm just hoping that my content continuously gives options for people to do the research and do the learning that they are looking for outside of contacting me personally, yes. <laughs> personally, because I can't do any, you know, I, I, sometimes I'll, you know, be able to scroll through and see what people are saying, but rarely, because the way that Instagram works, just so everyone knows, if you're not friends with that person, their DMs go to a completely different section. So you literally mm. have to go to look like, who do I not, who am I not friends with that I need to go see what they're messaging me? And then you can't see past the first 50. Like it's not available. So you either have oh. to delete them or like answer all of them. So there's so many messages that I just never, ever see. Wow. And so I, you know, sometimes I'll peek in there and I'll see something and I'll be able to answer or reply if I have the time or energy to, but no one should take any person whether they're like in you know someone with a lot of followers or they're like some type of social influencer or some type of company like don't take it personally and everyone e- email use mm. use email <laughs> but yes yeah. i do there are a lot of dms that come in asking for very it's really consultation and i'm like i can't i can't do that for, mm. for you um so i hope that my content continues to provide value for people who are looking for these answers totally because you're broadcasting a message so people yeah. don't necessarily need to be talking to you one-on-one all the, yeah all the and time. there's so many resources so many it's not like i i'm i am not presenting any new theology or idea or theories like mm. this i'm just i always say this work has been done for generations and generations it's just my turn and so there are tons of books lectures um, academic journals, articles, so many things that are out in the world that people can look to and learn from. Um, it's just my turn to create some content, so I am. And hopefully as I continue to do that, you can add it to the plethora of resources that are already out there that you're learning from. Yeah, amazing. I think with a lot of activists, whatever you're doing, whatever you're focusing on, burnout can be a massive thing and being, oh, yeah, you know, feeling sure. exhausted. And I just wondered, like, do you ever feel like I can't do this anymore? Well, I think I don't I haven't felt that feeling, but I do take very seriously and take into mind that there's research out there that particularly activists of color die at very high rates. There's a lot of death that has been there's literally like lists of black activists within the anti-racism movement or the police brutality movement um, or just a lot of black activists who have been doing this work in a number of ways who have passed away Mm -hmm. just from like 
they there's an actual term for it um and there's the weathering of your system just the way i got an apple watch recently and i noticed how my blood my like blood pressure went up when i was reading comments that were coming into my page and so like there's this just heightened existence when you're both living as a black person like i'm still living this life within a very racist society so living as a black person but then showing up and doing this particular work which is very high energy and very visceral um there's just a lot that goes into it so it's not so much that i'm exhausted but i'm trying to be very aware of what my place is here and the realities of it and if you remember eric garner who uh died who got killed here in new york city his daughter erica um she was a full-on activist after his death for police brutality and she was oh i don't want to say the wrong number i think uh 27 when she died of a heart attack because she was doing this work and then also she was pregnant she had just had a baby and if you're familiar with american uh american maternal mortality rates black women are dying at four times the rate of white women for and lots of research has been done it's because of nothing else but medical racism they could have the best insurance they could have the best social status they could have the best education and it's simply that medical racism is killing black women especially in the maternity space and so um between the weathering of her body with the activist work she was doing and uh, the realities of the racist system she was living in, she she died at 27 um, doing this work. And so I, I try to be really aware of how I'm showing up, how I'm taking care of myself, mm-hmm. and how I'm just hyper aware of um, how I'm existing in this space. Because mm. I know that the term self-care has been turned into like bath bombs and candles, yes. but... That sounds like yeah. the most necessary self-care for sure, ever. For sure, for yeah. sure, yeah. I always say that there's two aspects of, of my work. My primary focus in my work is to protect and empower black women period that's it i do i am not i have my work is white facing but my work is not for white people and so by doing this work it'll circumvent into protecting and empowering black girls but that's my main goal Mm -hmm. is to do that and the best compliments that I get and nothing is better self-care for my soul than when black girls come up to me after my lecture or they'll come into my DMs and they'll say, you know, because of, um, you know, seeing how you exist in the world or because of what I've learned from you, because of the vocabulary that I've seen you use, I was able to show up in a space and I was able to stand up for myself and call out someone that was racist or I was able to um, explain something to my five-year-old daughter and she was able to really see herself and feel more empowered or, you know, you you have validated so many feelings I had that I didn't know what they were. I thought I was just being overdramatic. And so being able to validate black women and what they're experiencing for them to say, wow, Rachel, I felt all that rage. And to see you actually say it to 200,000 white women is, you know, a lot of self-care for them to say, I'm seen, I'm heard, I'm valid in what I'm experiencing. And a lot of what racism is, is gaslighting black people of their experiences, telling white, telling black women they're just angry, telling um, black men they're just too aggressive when that's just not the truth. And so it's white people perpetuating these stereotypes that keep them safe and for black people to see themselves and say whoa I wasn't crazy when that woman was tone policing me there was a word and it's called tone policing you know I wasn't crazy when my boss was spiritually bypassing me there's a word it's called spiritually bypassing and I can use it and it Mm. validates me so I really really um 
love and focus on those experiences. I re- there was a girl who went to my lecture just this week and she's like, Rachel, I've never been in a room where I was the comfortable one. And that's it. That's like, that's the goal of, yes. of my work. I always tell white parents to send their kids to a predominantly black summer camp every summer so they can be the minority a few times in their life. Definitely. It's interesting, actually, what you just said about giving the like terminology and the language. I feel like you've done such an incredible job of giving. I mean, like you said, some of this has obviously existed before, but you're giving like a phrase or a terminology Mm. or a label to something Mm. that people can then go and use. And I wondered actually like that two prong approach because on the sorry, I know I keep referencing it, but it's because it's so amazing on the Red Table (laughs) Talk. You were saying that some people do go into your DMs white women being like thanks so much for doing this work and it's a bit like not for you yeah yeah but it's okay to have like lurkers on your page isn't it and like people yeah I mean if if people are here and they're learning and they're doing the work great I'm not I'm definitely not telling white women not to follow me because like I said my work is white facing that is my audience Mm -hmm. and so that's who I speak to a lot of times my post will say dear white women because I understand it's white women who are there and so I'll be teaching on something um but yeah those thank yous usually are not necessary they're they're not what I thrive off of Mm, you know they're not a lot of times in any industry when someone says thank you you're like wow yeah like this is what I'm doing the work for like these this type of appreciation or this type of showing up in a space so I while I appreciate being appreciated um the fulfillment I have is when a you know 12 year old black girl says thank you that she was able to show up in a certain way yeah yeah and just like you had michelle obama on your wall i reckon yeah. i reckon you're on some walls <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> that would be amazing totally <laughs> is happening um my last question so what are you looking forward to coming up i feel like is there anything because i mean like you just said you're in a really busy time and yeah. i just wondered what 2019 is kind of looking like yeah um i'm doing a tedx talk so i'm super excited <gasps> about being able to uh do a ted talk oh, which amazing. i'm like obsessed with ted I have mm-hmm. been for so long. And so um, when they invited me um, out to Bend, Oregon to do a TED Talk, I just got really giddy about that because I don't know, that's just like a dreamy thing to be able to do so a TED awesome. Talk. The world needs this TED Talk. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, really excited about it. Um, I am writing a book. So that will be coming out when I finish it, <laughs> whenever that is. And is that directed like your Instagram? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's same. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, very much in that same vein. Um, and I'm going to rest a lot. I'm kind of creating um, some ways for me to be able to, you know, teach really um, passionately like I usually do, but then also be able to take some time off mm-hmm. to rest. So my fall 2019 tour will look a little bit different in uh, terms of how I'm traveling, but I hope everyone's still able to come out and I'm hoping to build some new lectures and uh things like that so that sounds amazing it's so good to hear you say that about you know knowing like your limits and doing less because doing I mean I know that I'm not a teacher so I'm not like naturally as good at what you do but um whenever I do public speaking I need to like go and lie down afterwards oh my gosh yes it's exhausting it's so exhausting and when it's I always say public speaking is exhausting in general because you're just outputting a special level of energy when you're standing in front of a bunch of people but when what I'm talking about literally standing up in front of what is mostly white audiences what I always feel like it's like proving I I feel like I'm always standing up in front of white audiences like uh, proving my experiences 
you know, mm-hmm. trying to get validation for my experiences, mm-hmm. trying to get a group of white people to just care about my livelihood and the livelihood of my community. That's a special kind of exhaustion mm-hmm. that comes out of knowing that all of these people are showing up to not be part of a system that was never made for my livelihood, mm. especially here in America. Um, and as someone who was born as a descendant of slaves, like I know that my ancestry was here on slave plantations to know that, you know, they were being mistreated in the way that they were working mm. and existing and to know that I'm standing in front of, you know, the descendants of the people who might have owned them. It's a very special type of exhaustion that comes yes. from knowing what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And though it's my work and I value this work and I show up 100% um, every day, there's still like this underlying little black girl experiencing racism first time, mm-hmm. living in an all white space, showing up saying like, this sucks that this has to be done. This sucks that this is what, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is still conversations being had. Totally. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the Thank podcast. You. Thank you for letting me meet you and talk Thanks to for you. Coming to New this York. podcast is like a big excuse to just meet people I love. <laughs> so I really appreciate it. Best job ever. And I'm so excited about all the stuff you've got coming up. And everyone listening needs to immediately subscribe to the TED YouTube channel and follow you. I don't on. know. Yeah, I hope it makes it to the TED YouTube <laughs> of channel. It will. I hope it does. But follow me on Instagram. You'll get it. Yes, you'll see Instagram. it on Instagram at least. My website's rachelcargo.com. But Instagram's my plot. Instagram's like my jam. It's where I'm there all the time. You are amazing on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you so much.